Hello, and thank you for joining us again on our Gilmore Girls podcast, Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. Gilmore Girls is the coffee, and we're the shot of cynicism. I'm Jeffrey. I'm an Annie. And on this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the eighth episode of season four, Die Jerk. Die Jerk. So Die. memorable, this title. Die Jerk. Bye Jerk. I think it was the opposite. <laughs> Whatever. Some, some variation of that. Some variation. Um, before we dive into the episode, though, I do want to um, talk about one little teeny tiny thing. Yes. Um, and it's related. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Um, this past week, we had an announcement from uh, Scott Patterson. Oh, dear. I was, hoping okay. we could, I was hoping we could, like, not discuss that, but okay. No, I want to discuss it only for one reason. <laughs> <laughs> um. So if you haven't heard, uh, Scott Patterson is launching his very own podcast. Where Stealing he our brand. Yeah, well, we stole it from other people, too. <laughs> um, that's what podcasts are. Basically plagiarism, let's be honest. <laughs> um, no, so Scott Patterson decided to launch his own podcast talking, well, analyzing all every single episode of Gilmore Girls um, because he's never watched the show. Mm-hmm. Which... I don't understand that. I don't understand actors who don't watch themselves. Oh, no, I get that. That's, that's not the part that, that, that trips me up. Um, there's been a lot of... Hold on. <laughs> I get not wanting to watch yourself because you're, like, critical of yourself or it's embarrassed. Like, what? I get that part. But, I mean, for me, it's kind of weird that he's never seen the show. Yeah. That's what he says. Um. Because, number one, it's been off the air for 14 years. Mm-hmm. And, number two, he's holding on to that role so tight. Yes. So tight. So I have two I have two separate thoughts on that. The first being... Okay, you I, give me your thoughts, and I'm going to tell you why I wanted to talk about this. <laughs> the first being, um, you know, as an ex-actor myself, I was into theater in my youth... Um, I did theater as an extracurricular in elementary school. Thank you very much. Hold for applause. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> the Academy Award goes to. And um, actually, several family members were very upset when I didn't continue with it in high school, but it was, I just lost interest. Anyway, um, I totally get when, like, film actors don't want to watch their movies because I feel like there's so much, a lot more attention to detail goes into um, making a movie in specific scenes, especially if it's like a drama with such intense emotion. I get that, and I was, and I'm just thinking of that now because I, there was a, an interview that Michelle Pfeiffer did a couple months ago, um, where she said she never watched, basically never watches her movies for that exact reason. She's just way too, way too self-critical. So I get that part of it, but it's funny that Scott Patterson has not seen virtually any of Gilmore Girls, considering, A, I think it's kind of hard to not at least see some of it, like he, I think he's seen some, but it's hard not to see some of a show when you're on it for seven years and filming it every week, pretty much. Um, And also, like you said, um, he's he's clinging on to that role as if it's any shred of his relevance, which it is. And it's really just painful, in my opinion, to watch. I mean, you know what? Love what you love. I don't really care. But it's kind of painful to watch so many people just think that he's this great guy and ooh he's he was he was Luke on Gilmore Girls haha <laughs> so cute he's actually kind of trash so just that's my that's my that's my view on that <laughs> and why do you think he's trash cuz like i'm sorry you he, okay 
I can already hear people's voices in my head saying, you're being too judgy and critical. But, okay, you, he hasn't had an acting job since 2018. Okay, whatever, do you. But in the meantime, all he's ever done on the on social media is try to draw attention to himself vis-a-vis the Gilmore Girls fan base. And it's just, it's embarrassing, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't like him either, but... <laughs> um, and, I don't know. Just I've only ever seen his Instagram feed through our like on our podcast account. I don't follow him on my personal account. So anytime I've like logged into into the podcast account and I see his post, I'm like, what is this? Like, just yeah, it's stop. very. It's not that I don't <laughs> like him. It's just that a lot of it is creepy, in my opinion. Thank you. <laughs> um, and we recently got a DM because when so when we were talking about Milo's thighs. Pandemic thunder thighs. Pandemic thunder thighs is what we're calling them. But when we were talking about my little thighs, he posted a video um, of his thighs. Um, and um, it made me very uncomfortable. <laughs> but um, we weren't the only ones who were uncomfortable by it. Like, we're made uncomfortable by it. But we got we got somebody coming into our DMs telling us that we really need to address why we read so much into every single post. He's just trying to have fun, and you guys are the ones making it creepy. And I was like, mm, I think he's just creepy. But anyways, um, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because today I was – so there's two things. Um, this weekend when he announced it, I posted it in our story, mm-hmm. and I wrote, this should be interesting because it's true. It should be. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's always nice to get an actor's take on the scene. Uh, we might learn stuff that we didn't know. So I genuinely think it might be interesting. But so it's super funny. So I put that in my story, our story. And then I noticed that the account for the podcast kept um, posting other people's stories that had posted it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, maybe he like posted ours. <laughs> he did not. And I'm upset. <laughs> Well, I mean, you have you have tagged him in a lot of negative headlines, so. Um. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh my god, what if he secretly listens to our podcast and fucking hates us? <laughs> but I doubt it. And number two, the reason I want to talk about it is because did you see his face? In the like in the the graphic for the podcast. Yeah. It's. I mean, not what he looks like now, but. Okay, so it's clearly an older photo of him. Yeah. Like, taken now-ish, but they photoshopped the fuck out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's very airbrushed. Like, you're in regular... Because <laughs> I'm looking at it now, and I'm like, whoever, first of all, whoever did this Photoshop job, awful job, number one. <laughs> number two, you look way more bloated than this. Yeah. And, like, no. So my thing is, like, if you want to talk about a show that you were on 20 years ago, by all means, go ahead, like, to each their own. But, like, my thing is always, like, why are you trying to – it's almost as if he's clinging to the past. hmm And, like, not willing to move forward. And we yeah. talked about this before when we talked about other actors and actresses from the show, um, you know, moving on with their careers. Mm-hmm. And, and he's – He's said negative things um, about people not wanting to do another second year in the life because he's always on board, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's because other people have other projects, so they want to live their lives. 
It seems like he's just stuck in 2003. And also, for sure, I agree 100%. But may I add, um, I have we I have now no idea what he was talking about when he was ta- when he mentioned how um what did he say like don't know about ugly referring to Lauren Graham apparently about not wanting about yeah. not wanting to do a second season of a year in the life if I might add thank you very much to contradict that sir um there was an article that we shared on our story a few weeks back when uh Lauren Graham's new series on Disney Plus premiered The Mighty Ducks I think it's called or something of that nature um there was an article that came out around the time saying um that in all of lauren graham's contracts she has a gilmore girls clause e.g if she's doing another project and god forbid gilmore girls do another revival she's permitted to leave and go and do it yeah so clearly and i think lauren graham was quoted saying that she always wants to be available should something come up so clearly Lauren Graham is not the one or at this time is not the one standing in the way of a revival, a second revival. So But also uh, the whole thing is like I wouldn't even blame her because she's had two successful shows since then. Mm-hmm. She starred in movies, she's been on Broadway, like she doesn't owe you shit. No. You know, so that tweet where he was saying like, Well, we can do we can make the fans happy if only someone would get on board. Like, number one, like you said, not true. Number two, it's like she doesn't owe you, me, or the writers anything. Mm-mm. If she doesn't want to do the show, she doesn't want to do the show. And quite you know, frankly, I think she doesn't exist for you to fulfill your fifty year old fantasy, like but, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, quite frankly, it's kind of pathetic a little bit. Sorry, not sorry, that you are so, you're, you're clinging so hard to a shred of relevancy vis-a-vis Luke Danes that you are just, what, holding out hope for a second revival of a show that aired for seven seasons a dec- uh, two decades ago? Like, eh. You know? I didn't even think he was that great in the revival. But <laughs> But it's just to clarify what I said earlier um, about him not having an acting job since 2018. Listen, no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade. You haven't worked since 2018. That's maybe that's your choice. Maybe not. I don't know. Not my business. However, the fact that all you do is spend your time on social media like Instagram and or Twitter, just constantly engaging yourself and inserting yourself into the Gilmore, into the Gilmore Girls fandom to act like you're still popular and or relevant. Like, I'm sorry, that's kind of pathetic and a little embarrassing for you. Just saying. All right. Strong words. That's all I'll say about that. Anyways, I just wanted to listen. Like I said, I'm sure it's going to be interesting. It's always fun to have an insider's perspective. We might learn things that we didn't already know. Um, At this point, though, like it would just surprise me. Let's be honest. Um. But anyways, we'll see. At least least for you. (laughs) What? At least for you, if you didn't like, if you'd be surprised if there was stuff you didn't know because you know a lot. I mean, I know a lot. I think everyone kind of knows a lot. Everything that's had to be spilled about this show, we've we got it. And things that we didn't get, we got pre two thousand sixteen, like leading up to the revival. So like, I really don't think there's anything else. Um to know i could be wrong whatever i don't know All I, mean, I'm saying- <laughs> I mean a part of me still kind of wants the full cup of tea on whether or not lauren graham and scott patterson got along but i don't that- think he would be honest about that though he wouldn't i'm saying i'd love to he- i'd love to get her off the record perspective on that <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, because in every single interview that he's done where people have asked him, like, what was the chemistry like or what was the relationship like? She's always been like very guarded and said like, oh, you know, we're there to do a job, blah, blah, blah. And he's always been like, yowza. Yeah. So, and I'm again. Like, You're very creepy. Yes, again, creepy and uncomfortable, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're moving on. <laughs> um, but if you do listen to it religiously, because I might just tune in for like one or two episodes just to see what it's about. If you do tune in religiously, please let me know. Because <laughs> um, I don't, there's not enough hours in the day for me to listen to that podcast. No. Without like tearing my eyes out too. Mm-hmm. But if you say something controversial, please, I want to know. <laughs> shall we move on? Yes, yes, we shall. All right, so this episode is called Die Jerk. Um, would you say this is the most controversial episode of Gilmore Girls? In what way? In a way that people bring it up when they talk about fat phobia. Um, yes. In the in, yeah, in the fandom, this episode does cause a lot of uh, heated opinions and controversy. I would I would agree. Yes. Yeah, I think like every couple of months, there's another either tweet about it or article about it or I don't know, post about it. I see I see them often, and that's why I say that. Yeah, and most of it, I'm sorry to say, is um, geared at Rory Gilmore being the true villain of Gilmore Girls. And once again, I have to say. Are you really a fan of Gilmore Girls if you if you hate Roy that deeply? <laughs> exactly. Um, we're not going to get into that conversation again because we had it at length last time. Mm-hmm. But um, again, we will say that it's it's okay, <laughs> it's okay to notice the flaws in your favorite characters. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you uh, any less of a fan. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So before we get into that article that Roy wrote, the review, I should say, um, should we do it chronologically, or you want to? Just, you know, bitch about like we do. Well, I'd love to talk about Emily, the travel critic. Yes. So the opening scene is Emily basically bitching about Atlantic City. Which is her right, given that she has such a, such a an elegant party planned, and then it's let's go to trash trashy-ass Atlantic City. Yeah, so part of me is like, I get it. She's allowed to be upset because she had this party planned, and then Jason kind of pulled the rug out from under her. And, you know, she had to go with the flow and she had to do things to make her husband happy. Um, so part of me is like, yes, absolutely. You deserve to be you. You can be angry if you want to. Another part of me is more like Emily Gilmore is a petty betty. <laughs> so I 100 percent know that she got off the plane and she was already like, I'm going to have a terrible time. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, let's be honest, we've all been guilty of. Come on. If you're dragged somewhere against like and it's was not what you wanted to do, of course. <laughs> yeah, you're always going to put up a fight, even if you're having fun. You're going to make sure that nobody knows you're having fun. <laughs> God damn it. But yeah, I mean, I know for a fact both you and I have done that. <laughs> 100%. I'm not even going to argue with you. 100% we've done that. Um, so part of me thinks, yeah, okay, she's just being petty. Another part of me thinks she 100% has the right to be upset. And then another part of me thinks, like, she is just really bougie, and she definitely hates the tonic city. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's all all of that, all of the yeah, above. Yeah, I think it's a combination of all three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think she went to basically because please her husband because that's what he wanted to do. He had the time of his life apparently. Mm. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I was gonna say without considering the you know wants and needs of your wife, it's fine. 
You yeah. Know. Well, I mean, exactly. That's where it becomes problematic because, uh, you know, it kind of seems like from from the other episode where Jason was telling them they're going to Atlantic City, it would have been a prime opportunity for him to not even say like, no, sorry, my wife planned this. We're going to do this. Um, maybe go comfort her. Yeah. Or say like, I know you would have thrown an amazing party. You've been throwing amazing parties for me for 40 years. You know, like something. Mm-hmm. I would have liked some kind of interaction. Yeah. Now all we have is like, they went to Atlantic City and you can clearly tell your wife is being petty about it. You could you could say something negative about the trip to ease her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean, you could be like, yes, Emily, the signs were horrible. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> Instead, he's just, I feel like he's making it worse because he's like, oh, it was amazing. The clients loved it. We made little roulette wheels. <laughs> and she's just like, with everything that he says, she's just like seeing red. <laughs> My favorite line is when Rory asks, or Rory just says, you know, oh, I've always wanted to see the Atlantic City boardwalk. He dump, dump a garbage can across your porch and walk up and down on it. Makes sense, yeah. <laughs> That's like every boardwalk. Just- yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like, some of the most beautiful countries I've been to have nasty fucking boardwalks. <laughs> um, so that's just people being assholes, though, you know. Um, Okay. So then we fast forward to Rory in the newsroom, mm-hmm. um, kind of doing, I guess, an audition for the Yale Daily News. They first, make them, first appearance of Doyle, by the way. First appearance of Doyle, exactly. Um, what the fuck kind of name is Doyle? <laughs> I Not as a, as a first name, I don't know. It's, I think it's a, little, it's a little pretentious, a little bougie. Doyle? Do- <laughs> like doy. <laughs> doy. <laughs> I don't know, but... Um, Anyways, first impressions of Doyle? Um, ne- would never picture him and Paris together at this point. It's like not even in a million years would I would I think the first time I watched it, it was going to go there. Um, and I don't like, think I, I don't think the writers ent- like I don't think the writers gave him that much of a distinct personality just yet. Like later on, he becomes super like distinct in terms of personality traits, like e- like idiosyncrasies, and he's just super anal like Paris. Mm-hmm. But now he's just kind of, he's a bit of a blank slate. Like, I think they were introducing a new, maybe a potentially new recurring character, and then later they added a bit more pizzazz. Yeah, I think it's um, piggybacking off of this um, this theme of introducing new characters for a new environment for Rory. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they're trying different avenues. So they already have a little bit with her roommates, who we see again in this episode. They tried it with um, the first couple of episodes with the girl she meets in the quad or whatever the fuck it's called when you go to a bougie college. Um, she tried it with her grandmother's twin friends who were fucking terrible. Um, oh, <laughs> remember, remember the Bopsy twins? Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, the Bopsy twins. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like, I think, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think they're they're trying different things. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I don't think they're thinking too far ahead. No. Uh, I'm with you. I also never would have imagined at this point in the show that he and Paris would get together, but that's a story for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's potential there because it's somebody that, you know, potentially Rory could be seeing a lot of because he's her editor. Yeah. So it could be something, it could be a new character in more of a professional capacity. Mm-hmm. So I think they're they're just kind of leaving some doors and windows open and seeing what they can explore later on. Yeah, for sure. Um, that being said, Doyle is her editor, 
And mm-hmm. this trial run, she's being assigned uh, different pieces in different, I guess, um, genres, shall we say. Yeah, like different sections of the newspaper. Exactly. So now she's 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 working on reviews, I mm-hmm. guess, art reviews. Yeah. Art, I don't know. She did like a chamber music piece. She did, she did what else did she do? The other one that got rejected. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> but they were reviews. They were all reviews for like the arts. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's the first time that we see Rory realizing that maybe she's not as special as she was last year. Yeah, but it doesn't help that later Lane and Lorelai are like, oh, stupid. Oh, you know, like, what is, kick him where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I 100% agree. So Doyle, Doyle doesn't print her chamber music article and then he completely nixes another article before giving her the ballet review to do. Mm-hmm. And the criticism that he has is that the writing is a little bit of a yawn. Which, like, honestly, I would kind of think maybe 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 not. But I would think in in a perfect world, you would say, "Hey, I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be publishing this because I thought it was a bit just lacked a bit of a little certain something, uh, you know, try again with something different." Whereas he whereas like he didn't say anything. Was like actually it was kind of a yawn. Like, okay, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, but I think oh okay. So I agree with you. I think the way it was said wasn't great. But mm-hmm. I do like there's definitely other ways that an editor can give constructive criticism, right? Yeah. But I do think you would know, right? <laughs> um who am I talking to? Uh, no, but I do think that the nature of her position is kind of precarious in general. So yeah. You know, she's not even a writer. She's not even a staff writer yet. Yeah, exactly. If she it's was in a more, if, she, if she was in a more like established position, then he would probably have to be be obligated to say, um, "This needs this needs a little bit more work before we can put it out." Yeah. So I think if it was if she was a more established writer at the paper and not a freshman trying out, mm-hmm. I definitely think he would have been like, "Well, here's the sections that need that need work." Yeah. Here's, here's where you can do a rewrite. Here's what I like. Your facts are like, you know what I mean? It would have been way more constructive. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is, I, I don't, I don't pretend to know what the selection process is for a college newspaper, especially one of this caliber. But mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that a lot of people are trying to get on the newspaper staff. I mean, yeah, at a school like Yale, at the Yale Daily News. Exactly. That's a, that's a fair that's a fair guess. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I think at this point they're throwing everything out there, and whoever's got it has got it, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point of the game, he doesn't have time for handholding. No. So I do kind of understand what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also take him personally because I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like what you said though about how it doesn't help that Lorelai and Lane are like. Kick him where the sun don't shine. What a dick. Like, what an act, you know? And I think they're obviously their hearts were in the right place, especially Lane. But I think at this point, and even later on, like, I don't think there's ever a moment, if, to my knowledge, you can correct me if I'm wrong, where, like, Lorelai acknowledges, like, hey, maybe I've held her to a bit of, to, a, to like, a, a bit of a too high standard in terms of, No, like, it's never, it, like, Lorelai never explicitly says, well, explicitly, she never even... I don't know. I don't even know if she unconsciously thinks that. 
I think the closest that we ever get is when they have their rift, but even then they're both too stubborn to say stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, even I think even if Lorelai had that epiphany deep down where she's like, oh, crap, maybe uh, I was complicit in Rory's, you know, inability to accept constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. But she's too stubborn and immature to say that out loud. So. Of course, yeah. And, you know, she raised a stubborn, immature child. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so I definitely think their hearts are in the right place, like you said. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't really help when... I don't know. I'd like to tell Lorelai and Lane, did you read the article? Yeah. Maybe a little bit of a yawn. Mm-hmm. And listen, look, that, that, listen, <laughs> it, it's completely plausible that it was because let's be honest, who wants to review chamber music? Exactly. Unless you're, <laughs> unless you're like a music historian, you know what I mean? So it would make sense if your heart's not in it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, these are all things that they could have said that I think would have been more constructive than kick him where the sun don't shine. Yeah, and like I would also argue that this this episode in particular is a, is a is a, a case of Rory actually learning to accept constructive criticism. Like I don't even she, think she accepts it though. Well, she kind of in term maybe not in terms of accepts that her writing was a yawn. Like she kind of then she like second guesses herself. Like maybe it was a yawn. I don't I don't think she ever thinks about I don't think she ever like realizes like oh yeah it was a yawn because my heart wasn't in it like I think she's at, I don't think she's at a point yet in her you know life or academic career where she is she's able to say yeah that was a yawn because my heart wasn't in it I didn't give a shit like <laughs> in real life if someone says oh yeah that was a bit of a yawn I'd be like yeah it was a yawn because it's boring because it's a boring fucking essay like what do you want from me exactly <laughs> Um, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think she's at that point in her, even in her personal growth at this point in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes way more after she goes back to school. Yeah. Um, you know, and more on that later. But <laughs> should we talk about the ballerina? Um, yes. And please refresh my memory on the whole fat phobia angle that people have an issue with in this. Yeah. So the, ooh, okay. So I think the issue comes with, Treading a fine line between a review that is, while harsh, you know, it it does its job in actually reviewing what they're seeing. Yeah. Versus attacking somebody for their looks, Mm -hmm. which is what I think a lot of people take issue with in this episode with the comments of comparing the ballerina to a hippo. Yeah. And then saying that um, the 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 fat around her bra strap. Yes. So, so, so I think so. There's two things. <laughs> so, like I said, I think there's a difference between reviewing a, a a piece of art because that's what a ballet performance is, right? Mm-hmm. And saying, you know, I really don't think that, you know, like if you were to say the ballerina fell and like you know, the lifts weren't executed properly and blah, 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 while harsh mm-hmm. would still be fine, I think, because you're not attacking the person personally. Right. Whereas then to go after her, and that's why I think it got such a terrible reaction from her as well, mm-hmm. you know, to imply that she's fat and the guy couldn't lift her and he was wincing involuntarily. Right. You know, I think that becomes more of an issue. 
Okay, so I have two I have two things to say about that. Number one being um that I didn't I didn't interpret it that way the first like any time that I've watched it. I've read about like I have read, you know, critical social media posts about this episode and that's why when you said it before I'm like, oh yeah, okay, there was there is some controversy about about this episode, but it doesn't really stick in my memory. Um mm-hmm. because it, it doesn't like it doesn't really doesn't really strike me as that was what the the case was. Like I'm sure like now that we analyze, like that's first there was for sure some fat phobia in there. Um yeah. and not to and not to condone that, but I don't think that was really on any on anyone's minds or conscious in the uh, in the early 2000s so you know doesn't make it right does not not that fat phobia is a punchline but this was you know still i think you know in 2003 friends was still on the air and friends made if you know fat monica a, a punchline for 10 yeah. pieces so they made listen they made fat monica a thing they made they made homosexual homophobic jokes in literally every episode not to mention how they treated chandler's father right like Mm, yeah, so we could we, yeah we we could dissect that all day, but in terms of like the cultural standard at the time, I don't think fat I don't think fat phobia was the the no no that it is today. Just to clarify, not not condoning it, but just you know for like context like contextual reasons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my other my other thought is. Um, as you know, sorry. As a privileged white gay, I'm sorry that doesn't like the fat phobia just doesn't really resonate with me in that way. So like, I don't even now when I rewatch this episode for like recording this podcast episode, like it didn't, it doesn't really strike me in that way. Once you once you pointed out to me, I'm like, yeah, okay, I see that. I don't really think that was the writer's goal. I think people having seen this episode way too many times now, we can. See, like, oh, yeah, okay, I think it, the the punchline here is that she was fat, and Roy was, like, taking issue with the fact that she was fat, and that's By the why... way, she's not even fat when you see her. She's not, like, not at all, and... Not even a little bit. No, and even not, even by 2000 standards, like, not really. <laughs> no, so I don't uh, understand, like, it just seemed like a cheap thing to poke at. Yeah, but I was just, I was just going to say that I think the writer's goal here was uh that Rory wrote Roy wrote a yawn of a review and then she wrote a harsh review and it was like she it was like there was no winning. It was you you know, down down if you do, down if you don't. Like I think that was what they were going for in this episode. And I think now, fifteen years later, we look back, we're like, okay, yeah, there was some fat phobia laced between the lines here. That isn't okay. Yeah. If that makes like, sense. Like I just no for sure. And I think it's just a little weird to me that there's so okay. Spoilies. Spoilies. Um, <laughs> okay. Um I'm a larger woman. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Okay, but like By the way, I don't say that so that people can go, No, you're not, you're beautiful. <laughs> like I don't say it like that. I recognize that I'm a larger woman and that's fine. I've always struggled with my weight. It's been something that's been, you know, constant for me throughout my life. I would get my grandmother telling me, you're not feeling well, eat something. And then when you finish eating what she gave you, she'd be like, you know, you're very fat. So it's it's been a constant thing in my life. And the reason I bring that up is just because, you know, for for larger girls, especially larger girls growing up, um, like coming of age while watching Gilmore Girls, it could be very 
I don't, I don't want to say damaging because I don't think this one episode would damage me if I just saw it, right? Mm-hmm. But if it was a pattern or if it's like television show after television show saying the same shit, mm-hmm. I can see how it would be damaging for somebody. Yeah, for sure. You know, and even by today's standards of like everyone should love their body, like as much as we say that, people like me are still looked upon as gross. <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah, not not condoning people who look upon you as gross, but I would, I I would have to agree. Yes. Yeah, that, you know, that, like that's how and people. Like, you make assumptions about us based on just our looks. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know. You, I could be healthy. I could be so healthy. Well, apparently I'm not. But, <laughs> but that's my own self-diagnosis. We'll get into more. We'll get into my hypochondria more later. But, um, you know, we just make assumptions about people based on how they look. Mm-hmm. Um, and all in all, I don't think Gilmore Girls was a problem in the sense of, like, what a terrible show for young girls to be watching. We're sending them the wrong message. I don't think one episode will do that. Um, no. And there are many things that Gilmore Girls has done over the years. Well, there are many things that Gilmore Girls did in its seven-year run that, yes, by 2021 standards, were like, oh, not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't think this one incident, uh, you know, makes 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 the case for Gilmore Girls being a terrible show. I would say, however, there are a lot of articles on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that emerged after a year in the life came out. Yeah. And there were some, fat, there were some fat phobic jokes in there too. And so a lot of people took issue with those because I think you can excuse it when it happened in 2003 and we were using the excuse of we didn't know any better and we've grown. Mm-hmm. But by 2016, you're kind of saying, well, it's the same shit, right? Yeah. So I'm going to post the article, um, on Friday when this episode actually airs. Um, but it's called the creator of Gilmore girls hates me. Oh, that's a good, that's a, that's an attention grabbing headline. Yeah. So it's basically talking about fat shaming and body positivity and fat phobia. And after reading the article, there are some instances of, of, um, fat shaming also in Mrs. Maisel. Mm hmm. Um, that I think a lot of people have also brushed under the rug because they're saying, well, Mrs. Maisel takes place in the 50s, uh, 60s. It's a different era. Yeah. But if you're, if you're a fan of Amy Sherman Palladino's work, it's hard not to notice a pattern in her shows. And like also, it's set in the 50s and 60s, but it's made today. Like, sorry, you have to hold it to today's standards. It's for some, yeah, like it's on exactly. some level. Uh, I don't know. So, I would, but I would, um, clar- I, I would just like to clarify in terms of the fat phobic undertones in this episode. Um, I, again, I, I don't condone fat phobia. I'm not trying to say like, oh, 2003, we didn't know. Like, obviously, we should have known. We should have done better then. We should still be doing better now. And as you said, a lot of things about you know shows and movies from the 2000s they don't hold up by t- by 2021 standards. Um, I, but in my, just in my personal opinion, I think the, I, I think that the writer's main goal here was that Rory was, like, was down as she did, down as she didn't with, like, the reviews for the paper. And I think it did, I think it got, that goal got lost in these fat phobic undertones, shall I say. So, like, do, I'm, you know, don't condone fat phobia. I too have, 
you know, have my have had my fair share of body ish, body image issues mm-hmm. my entire life, um, as pretty much all gay men do. So it's uh, it's not lost on me. But like I, not to say that I condone any of the fatphobic content this episode, but I do think that the writers were trying to do something else and it got lost with this. Yeah. And I will say when people when people will say like, come on, it's not that big of a deal. I will say that, well, you know, at the end of the episode where she's sent to do another review and it's um, a folk music concert. Mm-hmm. Um, can you imagine if she had like in her review, she had written, um, I don't know, the, the lead singer's buck teeth. And like she went on about his buck teeth when it has nothing to do about the music itself. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm not sure I'd hide, again, <laughs> all we do is read too much into things here, but, like, I'd have to read the review of the so-called hippo in the ballerina, in the ballet, to really see, like, what is, okay, did she just throw in a couple of fatphobic zingers here and there, while actually reviewing the art, like, faithfully, or was it just yeah. literally attacking the, the people in, in the ballet, and not yeah, actually, sure. you know? Um, no, no, I completely agree. We we would need it in context as well. Mm-hmm. But I think the part that really bothered me as well is when the ballerina confronts her and she says, you compare, you, you called me a hippo. And then Rory kind of laughs and is like, no, see, what I was trying to do there was really just compare you to a hippo. And she's like smiling in this girl's face. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah. mm, read the room, skinny lady who eats everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and also, I'm just like, I'm over it. Yeah, for sure. But, like, it's there's again, there's certain there's certain little aspects of all shows and movies that I think if we if we di- <laughs> the bigger we deep, if we you know if we if we dig deep enough, we just uncover a bunch of problems that I don't think. Yeah. I don't think the writers or producers considered consider at the time because it was just supposed to be a funny haha for an episode of a show that you know they didn't think we'd still be dissecting twenty years later. So like it's I'm yeah, not gonna I, say I'm I'm not gonna say it's not that deep in general. Like it is that deep. Like we shouldn't we shouldn't condone and say oh it's fine we didn't know better. Like we should have known better. We should be we should be addressing things that haven't aged well in certain in certain areas. But on the other hand, like. It's not really that deep in terms of I don't think they gave it that much thought at the time, you know? Yeah. And listen, I completely understand that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, But at the same time, the purpose of having a podcast like ours where we analyze 20 years later is to dig deeper, right? Exactly. And that's what we do best. Or and do. that's what we do. <laughs> do we do it best? I don't know. You guys let it. You guys tell me. I'm not sure. I swear to God, if one person tells me they enjoy Scott Patterson's fucking podcast better than ours, I'll scream. Blocked, reported. Yeah. <laughs> hate crime. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. Uh, yes, exactly. Hate, crime. hate speech. Like when I report all those Trump supporters in our mentions for hate yeah, speech. God, can I just say something? Using the block button gives me so much power. Oh, yes. Like, petty Bettys for life. All You guys know. Like, sorry, we don't have any time for people who want to, like, argue and tell us stupid shit in our in our in our mentions or dms like sorry we like it's this is a social media site i don't have time for this negativity or anything you know have time for you (laughs) um the last thing i want to say about the article was i do think Mm -hmm. that very telling of richard and emily Mm -hmm. um 
I, I just think that that whole scene when they're talking about you eviscerated her, you cut her open, uh, you know, like when they're just basically congratulating her for attacking a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think it's very telling of this classes dynamic where it's like, because Lorelai then tells her, well, the ballerina had a negative reaction. She's like, ah, so what? Emily says, right? Because in Emily's world, I am untouchable. Yeah. I can say what I want to say with no consequence or whatever. I, I Listen, it's not that deep again. But I just think it shows how above everyone Richard and Emily think they are. And by the way, it also doesn't help that, like, it doesn't help for Rory's um, confidence or her, for her skills or for her perception that she's the snowflake that Richard and Emily like keep praise on her like nobody's business. Oh yeah, they egg, they egg her on. Like, yeah. It's... Oh my god, we're laminating all your articles. Like really? Like if she if she, if she didn't get it from Lorelai, she got it from them. Like it was exactly a double edged so, sword. Exactly. So I do think it's a little bit. Um, you kind of see the difference between Lorelai and her parents in this case, where Lorelai was like, oh, God, you were a little harsh, you know, whereas Richard and Emily are like, ah, whatever. This whole you can do no wrong mentality also really comes out. Yeah. Um, I, I do have to say, though, I think my my take on the whole review uh, debacle mm-hmm. is, I'm guessing, is a very privileged and ignorant one because it doesn't come from from a place of she wrote a review only attacking the ba- the ballerina and her appearance and not actually critiquing the art. I took it as she just she saw you know she saw a ballet that she didn't like for these reasons. Didn't didn't really think that hard about what, what the reasons were or if they were valid. I just saw it as she you know she saw something didn't like it wrote about why she didn't like it and then people got upset and like I was and when Emily and Richard were just saying like oh so what like I was kind of with them in the sense that not not vis-a-vis the ballerina's appearance, but vis-a-vis if she was actually critiquing the art and let's say, you know, hypothetically the director or the creator came to her and was like, uh, you like, didn't like my play? Ugh. Like in that regard, that's, well, that's, don't forget, that's, kind of, Emily, that's kind of on them, you know? Yeah. But don't forget that Emily and Richard make explicit reference to the fat jokes. Yes, yeah, true. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. Whatever. Let's move on. <laughs> um, let's move on to um, Suki and Michelle and Lorelai because I want to talk about the fact that Bruce is still in town. Which is weird because Bruce is a lactation specialist. Like, okay. <laughs> Why is she in your house and, like, walking around like she owns the place? Yeah. And telling you not to talk baby talk to a baby. Like, it's supposed to be comic relief, but at this point, having seen it as many times as we have, it's just, it's annoying, and it's not... Yeah. yeah. The, no, the main issue that I... Listen, I don't have an issue with Bruce. She's gone, whatever. Um, I do think it's dumb that Suki won't let uh, Michelle in the house. Um, but Lorelai, the thing is, Lorelai goes over for a meeting, mm-hmm. and I kind of agree with Michelle. He's like, it's a business meeting. The baby shouldn't be here. Yeah. Like, you're not going to let Michelle in the house, but it's a business meeting. <laughs> And like, no, like, sorry, no offense to Suki. I get you had a baby and you were having, going to be having a baby when the dragonfly was already in its early stages. Like, I get it. It was planned that you were pregnant and everything. But like, I don't think Suki thought that far ahead, which in, we see that later when she kind of drops the ball on Lorelai. It's, mm-hmm. I just, 
this is like Suki really bothers me in this season, as we discussed at length. Suki last week, so we don't have to get into that. But she, she does bother me a lot in this season, just because I don't think I don't think she thought far like she thought beyond. Oh, I'm going to open a business with my friend. Like okay, but you're in the business aspect with your friend. Like you have to be there, you have to be on, you have to use your brain. I don't think she thought that far ahead at this point. So it's just like. Well, I have a baby. Okay, cool. You have a baby, but you also, like, you committed to this business, so you, yeah, I need, you, I need I think, you. Yeah, I think it hasn't dawned on her yet. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it has, but she just doesn't care. That you're no longer just the cook at an establishment. Yeah. Like, the chef at a place. You're, it's your business now. Yeah. So, like, all these decisions that used to fall on somebody else's shoulders mm-hmm. are now, you have to make them. Yeah. And, again, like, I'm not shaming working moms. I... My mom, my, my mom always says, literally, she was working Friday, went home, had my brother on a Sunday. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> my mom does not take maternity leave, um, well, because it wasn't what it is now. Um, you know, I, working moms do great things. My sister-in-law is currently 38 weeks pregnant and still working, you know, like, good for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I just think if you're going to have a business meeting. Yeah. And you want your baby there, which is your right, because it's in your house. Mm-hmm. Like. Let, let's have an actual business meeting, not mm-hmm. with one partner outside being attacked by like the Lord of the Flies. <laughs> but it wasn't even, it wasn't even a business meeting because like I'm guessing they blamed it on Bruce, but like they didn't even talk business at all. Well, that's what I was gonna say. They, they start packing up because Bruce is like, we're gonna feed now. <laughs> by the way, you're not feeding chickens on a fucking ranch, but anyway. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, productive meeting. I'm like, Lorelai literally said one sentence. Mm hmm. So it's stuff like that that really bothers me, and it's going to bother me again in season four, again, when Suki drops the ball a lot. But I think this is just the beginning of Suki's flakiness in season four. Yeah. And whereas now it's kind of cutesy because it's a newborn and there's not much to do because they're still kind of um, demolishing the inn. Mm -hmm. When Lorelai needs Suki to be on from now on and she's not there, I think it really starts getting annoying for her. And, like, I think that's an important distinction with the, like, the comic, the, like, the supporting, the supporting friend character that uses comic relief. Like, in seasons one to three, she was just the cook at the, at the Independence Inn, and she was Lorelai's friend and confidant, whatever. Whereas now, in season four and beyond, it's like she is an actual key player in the biz, in the new business. And then, and, like, it's only now that we start to see her true flaky nature and that's why it's so I think that's why it's so annoying for us it's like beforehand it didn't really bother us as much because it wasn't in our face she was just like there on the side haha and now it's like hey no no I need you to actually be there for me and she she isn't she isn't but it's still annoying yeah anyways I um I think it's the beginnings right let's yeah. um okay so another thing happened this episode Nicole is back that's the one thing I didn't write in my notes because I'm like, I don't even care. Like, Nicole's just... No. <laughs> so, okay, so here's why I bring it up. It's like it's not because I care that Nicole is back because that whole interaction was also very awkward with her and Lorelai. Mm-hmm. But the reason I bring it up is for the aftermath of that. So I think there's this weird dynamic where Lorelai shares too much and wants to know too much. But Luke gives very, like, monosyllabic answers mm-hmm. that are never good enough for her. Yeah. And then, um, but, you know, as Rory tells her at the end, you're going to have to get used to Luke. You know, like, how long have you known him? This, you know how he is kind of thing, you know? 
Yeah. You know that he's going to do whatever you want. And then the thing that really bugged me about this whole scene, so fuck Nicole, forget Nicole, I don't really care. The thing that really bugs me is that Lorelai says Luke has to understand that whoever's in his life is in my life. Because we're such a small town and we're all interconnected. And I just want to, like, Lorelai, take me back to when you were, like, dating Max or dating Christopher. Would you have wanted Luke to get involved? No, you literally told him to fuck off. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, he's... Okay, you might think it's moronic that he's getting back together with Nicole and putting his divorce on hold. That's fine. I think there's a more civilized way to say it. (laughs) Other than just, like, what are you doing? Well, this affects me. And then not going to Luke's. Just get a room already. Yeah, that too. Like, when are you going to get it on? (laughs) It's like, it does affect me. Oh, okay, now it affects you. But when it was you who was in a relationship. Exactly. That's the issue I have. Yeah. So I'm just like, this whole episode, I was like, Lorelai, really? 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 And that's why I'm just like, I don't don't even address it in my notebook anymore. (laughs) When when analyzing, I'm like, it's just this, like, same shit, different day. Like, until Luke and Lorelai actually get together, it's just... a continuation of the same to and fro, and I'm like, okay, just get, just, uh, get naked already. Just leave me alone. <laughs> go ba- oh go bounce on the bed. <laughs> bounce on the bed. That's your favorite one. Bounce <laughs> on the bed. Oh my god. I do think it's very idiotic of him to get back together with her. I think, and I, I mean, we could say in the past, maybe he did it, he would have done it because, um, maybe Lorelai had been in a relationship, and oh, well, maybe I should get on with my life, but now, well, Lord. I think we've established that that was the basis of why he went, he got into that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. It was when she, when he saw, going back to season three, it's when he saw Lorelai getting all, um, involved with Alex's hobbies. Do you remember Alex, by the way? Only now do I remember. <laughs> yeah, he just disappeared, dust in the wind. But anyways, um, <laughs> That episode where he's teaching her how to fish because she's like, well, this guy I'm seeing is taking me. That's when Luke decides to go out with Nicole. True. So, you know, we have filler episodes on this podcast. This is a filler relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I would argue that even when um, Lorelai and Digger kind of get a little more serious, Luke is also does like reacts the same kind of way. So it's just same kind of filler. Yeah, and I just, honestly, I think um, the reason it bugs me that Lorelai even says that to begin with is because we know that later on in this episode, she starts dating Digger, not this episode, this season, excuse me, she starts dating Digger, but she never tells Luke. Mm-hmm. You know, so if his life is your life, then why isn't your life his life? Because Lorelai is a dramatic little princess when she wants to be. There you go. We, we <laughs> cracked this. Um, last thing I want to say about this episode, what did you think of the back and forth between Lorelai and Jason? Um, I, like, as a whole, I do enjoy Jason and Lorelai's relationship, um, but this, like, it's kind of, I'm not going to say cringe, but it's kind of, like, secondhand embarrass- embarrassment where, like, just get on with it. Like, I don't need, like, you don't need to just kind of court each other in secret but in front of your mother like just grow up like yeah so 
Okay, so I get what you're saying. That whole thing where he's like fishing for 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 restaurant suggestions and subtly, but not really subtly, running them by Lorelai. Mm-hmm. I think at this point for Lorelai, you she only wants to date him. Mm-hmm. Or did, at least. Only wanted to date him because he even said it. It'll annoy your mother. Yeah. Um, I think that changes maybe in this episode. But even even so, mm-hmm. I agree with you that that whole, like, weird flirtation, but not really flirtation at the table in front of the two most oblivious people on the planet. Like, how did they not notice that? It's, it's, yeah, like, honestly, it's weird to me that Emily, like, it takes Emily so long to figure it out. Like, to me, I think in the past, Emily, like, knew it on the past, but, like, in terms of uh, Emily predicting Luke and Lorelai's relationship and kind of seeing that connection, it's weird. I mean, she was, she was too caught up in her bitterness about Digger being at the dinner table at all, so. Yeah. Understandable, but it's, it, but it's actually, in retrospect, it's actually kind of, Shocking that it takes Emily so long to connect the dots that she, uh, Lorelai and Jason were canoodling. I'm just talking about the dinner table, though. Like, he's he's literally asking Lorelai what kind of food she likes mm-hmm. in front of them. And I will quote my favorite Karen Walker quote. <laughs> because this is how oblivious these two fucking idiots are, Richard and Emily. What are they, headless? <laughs> <laughs> Like, also, I find I kind of find it cringe that she was flirting like that in front of her daughter. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm, it doesn't surprise me at this point, but yeah. cringe. I don't know if cringe is the right word, but just like a little bit. I don't know that coupled with the fact that she asked Rory later, um, like, would it be completely weird if I dated Digger? Like, are you 15? You're not supposed to have these conversations with your, your child. It yeah. seems that Lorelai in that in that moment really wants a girlfriend to talk to. Yeah. And what she would normally go to Suki for, because that's what girlfriends are for. It's, it's taking this whole best friend, mother daughter best friend thing a little too far for me. Yeah, there's there, we've said it before. There's lots of different examples of moments where Lorelai kind of goes a little bends the boundary a little too much with um going with going back and forth with that, but. Otherwise, it's a little, it's a little hard to judge sometimes. I don't think she has that. I don't think she's mature enough to know where to draw that line. Yeah, I just think it's weird asking your daughter if you should date somebody because it'll drive their grandmother crazy. Yeah, like I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to. I wish we, throughout one point in the show, we got like a flashback to Rory's child like to Rory's childhood e.g. pre-teenage years where uh like to see the dynamic that Lorelai and Rory had then and like if she had been like oh my gosh I met this guy at the gas station he's so cute like is that would have been a conversation she would have had with her eight-year-old I'd love to know maybe not but I mean that's more that's more Ginny and Georgia (laughs) yeah yeah have you watched it yet by the way I'm not going to you know that (laughs) not happening just a question (laughs) All right. Anything else you want to talk about in this episode? Um, yes. So there's one important uh, part of this episode that I'm shocked you didn't bring up. Tell me. The marriage jug. 
Yeah. Okay. So I w- I wrote down stuff for the marriage joke. Mm-hmm. But then the more I thought of it, the more I'm like, this doesn't do anything. <laughs> it's no. It's it's very it's very supporting character this, filler. Yeah. This doesn't advance the plot, and it's not even interesting. <laughs> to me, it's like I don't know. To me, it's one of my favorite Lane moments, actually. Really? Okay. Just, like it, it doesn't advance the plot at all, like you said, and it's not, it's not important in any, in any way, shape, or form. But I just find it funny, um, like funny in the same, in the same kind of way that, like, how shall I say, like Lane and Mrs. Kim's parental relationship is so, just so fucked, you know? Like she's just like, like, um, like Lane. Like, Lane remember, remembers something so intricate and specific from her childhood, and Mrs. Kim is like, oh, I must have, I must have just told you that to, to shut you up. You cried a lot. Like, imagine, yeah. like, you know? It's just funny I will to say, me. Yeah, so I will say that it does kind of speak to this weird dynamic that they have, mm-hmm. where I think a lot of things that are significant for Lane, because she's been told them in her childhood when, we, when she was very... Um, I don't know, like malleable, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> and very impressionable. And I think it speaks more to this um, fear that Lane has of her mother. Mm-hmm. So this, all this stuff that she's been told since she was a child. And yes, okay, the jug turned out to be insignificant. But if you think about Lane's childhood or even young adulthood as a whole, you know that there's many things that Lane is scared of doing in front of her mother. Yeah. Or scared of saying or, you know, um, you know, just scared of being herself. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the marriage jug for me, it was very insignificant. But at the same time, now that you mention it, I can see how maybe it took a lot of courage for Lane to go up to her mother and be like, Mama, I am not ready to get married yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. And it also, to me, points to the fact that there's really no communication between the two. <laughs> no, not at all. So the fact that, like, we always knew that, but the fact that Lane would think that her mom would want her to get married at 18, mm-hmm. um, you know, when she's just she's just given up going to a college that she wants to go to and is going to Seventh-day Adventist College, and then, her, like, she thinks her mom wants her to get married right away. And there was that comment with the guy in the store where she was like, everyone should have children, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just, it's another like kind of slap in the face. I think for lane mm-hmm. where Mrs. Kin just sets rules willy nilly. Yeah. And lane follows them because she's terrified of what'll happen if she doesn't. Yeah. And this was small because it was a jug, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are real consequences to these willy-nilly rules that Mrs. Kim sets, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the marriage jug in particular is a prime example of something that she was, you know, supposedly taught as a child. And despite the fact that in the eyes of her Korean family and heritage, Lane is a rebel and nonconformist later right. on, we can't, we, we like, we can't, but we can't ignore the fact that she was still raised within that mentality and had all of these. Mm-hmm had all of these ethnic cultural um di- like these these norms forced on her basically like thrust upon her and yeah okay she can grow up and say i reject all of this that's, that's not how i want to live my life 
But at a certain point, like you live that way for you live that way for long enough like that's you're kind of just wired that way like i tell like i tell my i tell people at work all the time like sorry i'm you know i'm just my mother made me this anal like i'm just as anal as her now it's like it's you know like that's just how it is (laughs) no i get it i get it and i think um you know i think the show i don't know i think the show in many ways did good things um, in terms of casting two people of Korean descent. Mm-hmm. Well, to portray people of Korean descent, I think Kiko Ajena is Japanese. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Anyways, whatever. I think it was at a time where you didn't really see very many Asian people portrayed in television. I think that the show did a really good thing. Yeah. But I think it also uh, relied too much on stereotypes. Um, in what way? Like, the strict Asian parents who don't let their children live? Yes, but I I would, I think I would disagree in terms of Asian stereotypes. I think, I think for a show, like we've said this week, uh, you know, made a punchline out of fat phobia and, uh, a lot of, a lot of other problematic things over the course of the show. I think, I don't think Asian stereotypes makes my top would crack my top ten list of problematic elements. I think they could have, like in, in terms of Asian stereotype jokes, they could have used like, "Oh, Lane's a bad driver," or "Lane's like a bunch of other stupid things like that," but they didn't. I think, correct me. I mean, any if there's any people of Asian descent in the audience, uh, please let us know. Like, I don't know, but I think in my brain, strict like there's a lot of just strict parenting in that in that area. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's me just having grown up with that stereotype, but I'm not sure if it qualifies as a stereotype, but you know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. I just, you know, we, we hear about the stereotype of Asian parents being very cold and only caring about school and the rules are the rules and you can't do anything. And it's not just Asian uh, parents, by the way, I think the, the immigrant experience, shall we say, yeah, because yeah, that, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, I don't think you can necessarily equate that to only an Asian stereotype. No, so I think what I meant to say was like they had an 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 ethnic family, a non-white family, mm-hmm. and the storyline is that they don't get along because the child is perceived as a rebel. Yeah, okay, but but like again, again by twenty twenty one standards, it's kind of basic. But by two thousand three, it was like never, never even. Like I said, no, never, never before seen, but it was scarcely ever addressed. Yeah. Anyways, I just think um, there are many things that could have been done differently. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but that's always true. That's true. That's true of anything that you've seen a thousand times over. That's it's like true. This, it's like, this could have been done so much better. Like, didn't, like, didn't I tell you, the, like, last fall when I was rewatching Desperate Housewives from start to finish? Because, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands and still do, by the way. I was saying, like, I remember I told you. Oh, the last two, last two seasons of the show could have gone so differently if they'd done this instead of that. And you were like, yeah, I remember that. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, yeah. But it's like, not, welcome, like, welcome to being a fan of anything. <laughs> exactly. Though. Like, you see, like, you see something enough times, it's like, but if only this had happened earlier, then that could have, this could have happened then, and oh, then the last season would have been this instead of that, and it's just... Why do you think so many people read and write fan fiction? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Ah, oh, you know. <laughs> Wishful thinking on our part. Yeah, if you're a fan of anything, of course you would want things. Oh, I wish there was this scene, or I wish we had seen more of this character, or this could have gone this way and it would have ended, you know, like, that's always going to happen. 
I think that's like pretty much every, like every time, every time someone is passionate about something in a positive way, shall we say on social media, like e.g. a movie or a show, it's like, I wish we would have seen more of this. Like there's so, like just mm-hmm. fill in the blank of that line. Like we see so much of that. Exactly. And look, we do our fair share of it as well. We do. We do. <laughs> so Jeffrey, where can they find us? Before I say that, I actually have one more thing to add about on the subject of body positivity. Mm. Um, I saw, it just popped in my head, I, I saw a funny tweet today that has since gone viral. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's in response to, I'm guessing, teenagers on TikTok saying that the 90s were a, were a more body positive time because there weren't social media filters. Okay. <laughs> Which I'm assuming you also dis- can disagree with. <laughs> um, so the person wrote, not teenagers saying we were more body positive in the 90s because we didn't have filters. Sweet summer child, we had eating disorders. Yeah, exactly. And she responded to that tweet later saying, I'm not saying eating disorders have gone away. I'm saying I didn't see a woman over 120 pounds portrayed in the media as desirable or even attractive until I was in my late teens. So I'm guessing there's even a younger person still tweeting that because <laughs> yeah that's 100% true by the way I can't tell you how many times by the way um when I was young I was told I was gross because I you know my weight fluctuated all the time and I was like well that's it I'm not eating I'm not eating this week you know which is absolutely unhealthy and not something you want a fifth grader doing and I hate yeah. that it's like that that is project- projected so much on women and, and like young girls like grade like fifth grade like seriously yeah, listen, my weight issues started, my issues with weight, like my issues, not being heavy. Because when you look, so the thing is, I recently discovered that when I look back on some of my pictures from elementary school where I thought I was absolutely hideous because that's what people were telling me, um, like I look back on these pictures and I was like, yo, I wasn't even fat. <laughs> like yeah. I was a little bit bigger um, because we're big women in my family. Like, I was a little bit more round, rotund, I should say. Mm-hmm. But when I look back on those pictures from, like, fifth and sixth grade when I was the most insecure, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth, I'll say, I'm just, like, I can't even believe there was a part of me that thought I was, literally, I was calling myself fat. Like, I'm, like, I'm fucking fat, you know? Yeah. And that followed me all throughout high school mm-hmm. where, you know, kids are fucking cruel. Yeah. And I did gain a lot of weight, but I also lost a lot of weight. I gained it all back. I lost it again. You know, like it just, it, it I've struggled with, you know, no, I love my body. I feel fine in my body. And then like one comment can set me off again. Like, you know, when I lost a bunch of weight and I, I did lose a bunch of weight in 2015, 2016. And the tipping point for me was when my grandmother um, called me very fat. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. Because at that point, I didn't feel right. Right. Mm-hmm. I was convinced that I was doing it for me. No, it's because I want to lose the weight. Right. Yeah. When really, it was just like people telling me I was fat that made me. Feel fat. Mm-hmm. So I lost a bunch of weight. I lost almost 60 pounds and I was really good for a while. I felt good. But in the back of your mind, when you have body issues, I don't care how thin you are. You're always going to find something wrong with yourself. Yes. I believe the condition is body dysmorphia and I know her well. Yeah. So like even when I was at my thinnest and getting all these compliments, I still felt gross. Mm-hmm. 
I still felt disgusting, even though everyone, and that's another thing, by the way, when you start losing weight and people start complimenting you all the time, that doesn't do wonders for your self-esteem either. No, because it implies that I'm on, like, are, I'm only desirable and or appealing to others when I'm thin. Exactly. So, like, my, my mom is actually really good at this. My mom always tells me that I'm beautiful, like, no matter what size I am. So she's very, very good at it. Um, and I've, I've always been very grateful for my mother, but there are certainly members in my family who only go out of their way to tell me how good I look when I was thin, Mm -hmm. thinner, I should say, you know? So that also implies like conditional love of, I will only love you if you are a certain weight. Exactly. And I don't, and I, I, that's one part of, uh, you know, body image and body and just appearance in general that I I try to be I try to be mindful of in terms of and if I notice someone has lost a lot of weight like I'll kind of wait and see if that comes up in a topic of conversation that they bring up and I say oh yeah I think you look nice like I wouldn't I just try not to go out of my way to be like oh my gosh you lost much weight you look amazing like yes it's your heart's in the right place but you don't realize that it implies that you, I thought you looked bad before. And maybe, yes. maybe I didn't, maybe I didn't necessarily explicitly think I think you looked bad before, but just, just the action of only acknowledging the fact that you lost weight implies that I just not me in general, but everyone like the, hey. the like just in general, the, the collective uh, eye. yeah, the, like the collective eye only notice, only notice when you lose weight because it implies that that's the only time that you're valuable or worth or you know worth anything which is not the case not the case so for everyone struggling with body issues fuck everybody <laughs> yes and i will just and i will just i will just <laughs> i will just say that um a i'm sorry that you had to feel like in grades four five and six that you were disgusting that's just like ridiculous oh, I know, much like a but ridiculous in general that girls so young are already subject subjected to such cruel cruel criticism over their appearance. Like that's just not yeah. okay. Um, and also, you know, respecting our respecting our elders and everything. But your grandmother is also very very cruel sometimes when yeah. she calls you fat out of the blue, and it's like you don't need that negativity. And I hope that you learn to tune it out when you can. Yeah, it's, listen, I will say um, it's much harder when it's coming from a family member. Mm-hmm. But then I have to remember she's like 87. <laughs> and I can easily push her down the stairs. That's good. Okay, I like that approach. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, <laughs> can you imagine something happens to my grandma through a cop's knock on my door? Knock on Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> what happened? She called me fucking fat. I'm done. <laughs> Oh my god. Anyways, uh on that note, where can they follow us? Uh they can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast, on Twitters at Gilmore Podcasts, and should you feel the need to email us, you can do so Gilmore Podcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next week. Bye.